Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. Good morning. You know, one of the saddest stories I have ever heard involved an old married couple. They were driving to town in their old school pickup. You know, the kind with the, the old bench seat across the front. And they were chatting together and just enjoying a normal day's activities. But as they drove, he was driving and she was sitting in her seat over on the other side and just like they always did. But as they were driving, they happened to pass a young couple. And they were in a similar pickup. But in the young couple's pickup, the seating arrangement was slightly different. The young woman had slid all the way over into the middle seat, and she was resting her head on her beloved's shoulder. And he had his right hand wrapped around her, her shoulders, and she had taken her hand and was just touching his hand that was around her shoulder. And it was obvious that these two were deeply in love. And as the old couple passed them, the woman turned to her husband and said, Hey, you remember when we used to sit like that? And her husband was quiet for a few seconds, and then softly he said, Yes, I remember, and I haven't moved. That is a painful, truthful word, isn't it? Because the reality is, it wasn't that their love had died. They still rode in the same truck, after all. They still enjoyed doing things together. They still talked. They were still married. She hadn't cheated on him or abandoned him. She was still at his side, in fact. Her love for him had not died, but it had faded. And in that fading, it had become visibly apparent in how they sat in the truck. And you know something? The fact is that even though our relationship with Jesus is not romantic, it's very possible that in the same way, years of walking with Jesus can accumulate and our love for Him begin to fade even as we maintain in many ways the same outward relationship with Him and still remain with Him but at a distance. And that is not God's will for us. That we be in relationship with Him, but at a distance. In fact, Jesus Himself wrote a letter to a church addressing people in precisely that situation. Precisely this problem. That it's not that their love for Him had died, but that it had faded. And He writes to correct them in Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. Now I'm going to pray and then we'll read the text together. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning Your Word would teach and correct and rebuke and train us how to avoid being in a relationship with You that was once joyful and full of delight and has become instead routine. 
Father, I pray you would deliver us from that. I pray that if that is our fate uh, at at this moment, that, Father, you would use your word to help us and to train us and correct us and rebuke us, to teach us how to renew our walk with you once more. And, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is what God's Word says here. Let's read together. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now this is the first of the letters to the seven churches, and it uh, sets a pattern for all of the other letters uh, that follow after it. Uh, there are seven elements that, that are descriptive of most of these letters. It begins, first of all, with a description uh, of Jesus that is connected to the vision that John saw in chapter 1. So this one is addressed uh, from the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands and who holds the seven stars in his hand. It also includes, uh, secondly, an identification of the church, then a commendation for what they're doing right, and then a rebuke for what they're doing wrong, and then a command to follow, to rectify their sin, and then an exhortation to listen, and then finally, a promise that is given to the overcomers. And as you read these letters, you'll see that they follow this pattern, at least in most cases. Uh, This letter, again, is from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. It's addressed to the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus is the most, it's the church in the city that's the most important city in Asia. Now, Pergamum is the actual capital of Asia Minor, but Ephesus is the, is the most important city. So if, we, if he were addressing this to the seven churches in Illinois, let's say, he would be writing not to the church in Springfield first, but the church in Chicago first. It was the most important city in that place. Uh, this is the only one of the seven churches that is directly founded by the Apostle Paul. And by this time, in the late 80s or 90s, it's likely that uh, any of the founding members of the church, if they are still around, are either grandparents or great-grandparents within this church. It's been a long time since the days of the founding. 
But it is a good church. It's a good church. In fact, church history says to us that prior to his exile to Patmos, uh, being banished to this prison island, uh, this is the church that John himself, the writer of this letter, or the writer of the book of Revelation, that was the one he was part of, was the church at Ephesus. It's the one that after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, that John took Mary, Jesus' mother, and made her a part of. This is a good church. This is a place where if you were living in this area at this time, this is a church you wanted to be part of. And if you look at how Jesus encourages them and commends them, you'll see that they are doing many things right. Many things that are right. To begin with, their works are outstanding. They're a busy church. They aren't lazy. Their ministry is good. They work hard together. In fact, it's very likely that the other six churches that are addressed in this book were founded by these people. And the church in Ephesus is also doctrinally orthodox. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when, what, when the message coming out of the pulpit and in the classrooms of a church is founded on the Scripture and you can see where it says what the Scripture says is what they say. It's a good thing. They are doctrinally orthodox. And they have taken seriously Paul's words to the Ephesian elders uh, that we have recorded for us in chapter 20 about watching out for false teachers. So this is a church that is discerning. So if a, if a Paula White or a Marcus Borg or a Bart Ehrman or a Joyce Meyer or a Joseph Smith comes along, these people say, no, we're not down for any of that. That's false teaching. That's false teaching. We're not, we're not swallowing that just like they should. And there's one more commendable thing about them we see in verse 3. That they are enduring in both faith and ministry even though they are suffering for it. Remember, John writes this book, he says, As your partner and, and brother in the suffering and patient endurance that we're undergoing. This is written during the reign of the emperor Domitian. Uh, you may not know your Roman emperors, but he was the guy in, in the uh, 80s and 90s who decided that persecuting Christians was a good thing to do across the emperor, across the empire, okay? Not just locally in Rome, as Nero did, but across the empire. And wherever you find them, you should persecute them. And this church is holding fast. Despite persecution, despite trouble, they're holding fast to their doctrine. They haven't reshaped it to accommodate to the pressure of their culture. They're holding fast in their ministry. They're still doing the things that they always did. And they're a good place. 
And so Jesus says to them that you have met the challenge with patient endurance and you are bearing up for my namesake and you have not grown weary. Now, if that's where this letter ended, that'd be a pretty good commendation to a church. It'd be a pretty good word because it indicates a pretty healthy group of Christians who are trying to do the right thing and to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Unfortunately for them, but fortunately for us, because we have a lot to learn in the rest of this, that's not where the letter ends, is it? There's also a rebuke. There is a problem. And the problem is, is that all of their commendable doctrinal orthodoxy and relentless ministry is not a replacement for a deeply growing love. And that's what they don't have. They have lost a deeply growing love and it has started to fade away. They have, as according to the scriptures, abandoned the love you had at first. The problem, in other words, is not that they're not doing the right things. They are. The problem is that their motives have changed. They have moved from believing and doing the right things out of love for Jesus and slowly, and maybe without really noticing the change over time, started to do the right things because they're right. Can that happen? Yeah. I have to confess to y'all, I was convicted on this in my study this week. I've known Jesus for over 40 years. And, and so many of the things of the Christian life have become ingrained in my life. I read my Bible virtually every day. I pray throughout the day, every day. I have served in ministry as long as I can remember. I first started teaching Sunday school at 15 years old, and I have not stopped. I, I get up every week if I'm here, and share with you all the things about God. And it is possible, men and women, to do what is right because it is right. And is that a good thing? Yes. But it's not a sufficient thing. Jesus wants not just our obedience, but also our heart. our heart as well. And He doesn't want us to simply read your Bible and pray and share the gospel and do ministry simply because it's part of your life that you've always done. Jesus doesn't want us merely to do them out of habit and discipline. Amen? You don't want to change your relationship with Jesus into part of your routine and forget to cultivate your actual love for Him. 
And this verse reminds us that Jesus is not content to merely be the reason why we do the right thing. Because no amount of good doctrine and good deeds and good perseverance can replace deep and growing love for Jesus himself. Why not? Because Jesus is calling them and calling us to something much better. Not to do different things, not to believe different things, or to stop persevering, but to do all these things for a different reason and to follow and serve and obey and persevere in faith with Jesus because you love Him out of deep and growing heartfelt affection. And I, I just, I have to tell you, this is deeply convicting to me. And what the, what the Spirit of God has been speaking to me of recent is not just are you doing what is right, but why? Are you obeying Christ out of love for Christ? And I think I can say on my better days, the answer to that question is yes. Then there are the other days. And I want, you know, way beyond any blessing that I might receive from God, way beyond, uh, you know, just the knowledge that you're doing the right thing or you're, you're, you're believing in the right things or that you're teaching the, in the right way. I want my motivation for following Jesus because I cannot help myself because I love Him. I want to grow up and experience it that way. You know, when, 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 we're, when we've been raising our kids, we have, we have required them to do certain things, right? Like, you will do the dishes. You will do your laundry. You will mop up the floor in the bathroom after you are done taking a shower. You know, these kinds of things. And we, we lay those down as rules and laws and so forth, right? Because we want them to be a reasonable human being when they grow up, right? To be capable of handling life as an adult and handling adult responsibilities. But eventually, we want them to move from doing what is right because they have been told to doing what is right out of affection for us. And out of, I know that this pleases my mom and dad and I love them and therefore I'm going to serve them. Right? And Jesus, I think, wants the same thing for us. We have in the Scripture lots of things that Jesus wants us to do and tells us to do. But beyond simply obedience, He also wants us to grow up to the point where we have obedience out of affection. Out of affection. Out of desire to please Him. Because we love Him. And we know that He loves us. 
And the beautiful thing about the great physician is he does not just simply give you a diagnosis. Amen? He also gives you a prescription to follow. And that's what we see in verses 5 through 7. And he tells us there are three things that we need to do. Remember, repent, and be renewed. Um, three crucial things. The first one is remember. Remember from where you have fallen. As day follows on after day, it's easy to forget where you started out. It's easy to forget where you started out. Our relationship with Jesus is meant to be more than what the old cynic Voltaire described it as. He said Christianity is an initial spasm followed by chronic inertia. In other words, y'all come to Christ and you're really busy for about 10 minutes. And then you do nothing the rest of your life. Right? Is that true? Sometimes. With some people. Right? Where you see someone come to Christ and man, they are transformed and their life is exciting. And if there's a Bible study, they want to be in it. And if there is a prayer meeting, they are there and praying. And if they... Uh, if someone tells them how to do a quiet time, they've got to do one every morning. And boy, they're just so thrilled and overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God. They can't believe that God would send Jesus Christ for them to die on the cross for their sins. And they're just un impressed by that, right? And their life changes. A lot of times they do 180 degrees from what they were before which is what has so many of us scratching our head over Kanye, right? <laughs> I mean, what's up with that, right? Here's a man who's living one way and now has apparently come to faith in Jesus and his music and everything about his life has changed, right? And we see that and we get excited. Praise God for that. But then, over time, it is possible to regard all of these things as old hat and to not allow them to continue to grow and deepen and to uh, become richer and fuller and more blessed over time, but to just kind of go, yeah, I remember back when I was a new believer a long time since then but our zeal and our joy and our enjoyment of our relationship with God is not supposed to diminish over time it's supposed to grow over time and it's easy to forget where we were where we started out in fact that's why one of the most common accusations against the people of Israel in the Old Testament from the prophets is you have forgotten you have forgotten you have forgotten you have forgotten your relationship with me and so he says first of all first thing to, to do is to remember where you started from remember where you were Remember how excited you felt. Remember where you started from. Remember. So you don't miss out 
on the joy that Jesus intends for you to experience. Step number two is repent. That's what Jesus tells them. Uh, it's his word to us if, we have, if our love for Jesus has likewise faded. And to repent means to turn around. That's literally what it means. To turn around and go the other direction. You know, sometimes, sometimes the shortest way to get to where you're going, if you've taken a wrong turn, is not to keep driving. Amen? <laughs> it is to go back to where you took the wrong turn and do that again, right? You all have GPS in your car? I, I have a British lady that talks to me. And then she'll yell at me if I go wrong. She'll be like, rerouting, rerouting, you know, <laughs> rerouting, <laughs> turn left. You know, I expect her to say, you idiot, turn left, right? <laughs> and, um, and very often, the best thing we can do is find the nearest exit, turn around and go back where we got off, right? That's what repentance is all about. And repentance includes confessing all of the ways that you have strayed from Jesus and finding his forgiveness for those things. Step three is renewal. You see that in the text there? It says, do the things you did at first. That is part of repentance. Real repentance is not simply confessing your sin and then moving on. It is committing to changing what you do so you don't go back to it. In this case, it means going back to what you did when you first met Jesus and your love for him was brand new. Your love for Jesus grows when you seek to obey him out of love. And, and as an example, read your Bible and pray not to check it off of your list but to meet him and to hear his voice speaking to you. It grows when you pray, not merely because you have a long list of wants, but because you want to share your heart and your burdens with the one who loves you because he is your friend. It grows when you share the gospel with the lost and help them follow Jesus in a disciple-making relationship, not out of duty and obligation, but because you can't help telling other people about this wonderful person who has changed your life. And when you recognize that it isn't your motive yet, this is what I have found helpful for me. To pray, you remember when Jesus... There was a, a, a father who came to Jesus and he has a son who is possessed by a demon. And, and Jesus says to him, you know, I'm, I'm coming, I'm going to go heal your son. And the guy says, yeah, I'd like you to heal him if you can. And Jesus says, if you can, you know, all things are possible if you believe, and the guy says back to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I've modified that slightly in my own case and said, Jesus, I love you. Help me with my lack of love for you. Help me. I want my love for you to be deep and growing and real. And I do love you, but help me in the areas that I don't. 
Now you may have noticed we have two and a half more verses left in this letter. The rest of, the, of verse 5 tells us what happens if these believers don't repent and remember and renew their love for Jesus. It says he will remove their lampstand. In other words, your church will cease to exist. That's a very serious consequence, a very serious warning. But he also gives them additional encouragement in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 is another commendation that they hate the works of the Nicolaitans that Jesus also hates. Now, you may not have any idea who these people are. Um, church history says that they are people who claim to be followers of Nicholas, who was one of the first deacons that you see in Acts chapter 6. And they taught people that you didn't, if you believed in Jesus, you did not need to worry about being moral. Okay? That just whatever you want, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can let your freak flag fly. And in particular, they encouraged people in sexual immorality of various types and kinds. And Jesus says, I hate that teaching and the works these people do. And you have shut them out of your church as well. And that is a good thing. And Jesus is telling them this, I think, because he is encouraging them in the fact that their love for him is real. If it weren't real, they would have embraced this idea. By the way, is that still a current idea? That you can follow Jesus and then what you do with your body and whom you do it with doesn't matter? Yes. In fact, we, we don't call them Nicolaitans today, but those people promulgating that doctrine are still around. Jesus says about that that he disagrees. Is that fair to say? He says, I hate that hate that because Jesus says elsewhere in the scripture be holy because I am holy amen and so the fact that these people hate false teaching is a good thing it's a good thing he says it encourages me that your love for me is real verse 7 is further encouragement he says that the one who overcomes will get to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God who are the overcomers you're going to see them at the end of each one of these letters to him who overcomes I will give this and this and this and this who are these people these are the people who have genuine faith in Jesus and every single one of them the promise is is going to enjoy eternal life with Jesus and I think Jesus gives them this encouragement because he is expecting that his commands and rebuke are going to be obeyed because he thinks their love is genuine. And he is anticipating the reality that they're going to do what he has told them because their love is real and that it will be renewed. And that their renewed love will indicate their genuine faith and that they will enjoy, therefore, eternal life with him. And he's reminding them, look, this is what you have to look forward to. 
and I'm anticipating you're going to enjoy it with me. So, how does this text apply to us? Well, to be honest, I can't do any better than Jesus. Each one of these letters addresses a specific problem in a specific church. But, and I think they were, and in fact we know, that these were real churches with real problems as this letter uh, is written. Revel as Revelation is written, these churches are really experiencing these real issues. But I also think these are representative not only of real churches, in our day but of real people within them in our day and if as I have been speaking to you this morning you've also heard the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart speaking to you about these things then here's how we should respond number one be encouraged by Jesus commendation be encouraged because orthodoxy and relentless ministry and unyielding perseverance in the faith is, are all good things. And if these things are true of you, where you've continued to believe what the Bible says and continue to do what the Bible commands in terms of ministry, and you have, you have stuck with it for a long time, those are good things. And you need to hear Jesus' encouragement in those things. It's easy for us to focus on the rebuke because we, we kind of gravitate toward the parts that correct us sometimes in the Scripture. But let's hear the encouragement too, that these are good things. That Jesus cheers for and applauds. And if these things are true in your life they are worth celebrating don't give them up for anything but on the other hand also receive the rebuke if it addresses you don't let your love for Jesus fade away because all of the good orthodoxy and good ministry and good perseverance in the world cannot substitute for a deep and growing love for Jesus a deep and growing love for Jesus that motivates and drives all these things is ultimately what Jesus wants. And so, if you're hearing the rebuke in your own heart this morning, if you're not, praise God. Praise God. But if you are, remember where you started out. And repent. Repent. Confess your fading love for Jesus and ask for His help in restoring your joy and affection for Him that you had at first. And then renew your love for Jesus. Pursue Him afresh. Do what you did at first. Jesus is our beloved friend and He is our mighty Savior and He is coming again soon. Soon. When he comes, we're going to live with him eternally. And if we have cultivated our love for him, it will be like the return of a dear friend who's been away for a long time. And we will run to him in great joy.
you know, all of you know that that I live right now the closest I have ever lived to my family since Karen and I got married. Uh, we we live right now about four hours away from everybody that we are blood related to and love. And um, whenever we see them, you know what we do? We go and hug their neck. And we tell them, I love you and I miss you. It's been too long. And when Jesus comes, that's what we want the reunion to be like. Not like somebody that we used to know. Right? Somebody that was once significant in our life. We want our love for Him to be our beloved friend, our brother, our Savior has come. And it's been way too long, but we're so glad to be reunited. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that that out of our gratitude and joy and wonderment that you would send a Savior for the likes of us and such a magnificent, amazing, incredible Savior as your Son. That, Father, out of that would grow deep affection and love. That we would obey and follow and pursue and walk with you, not because we must, not because we are duty-bound and obligated to do so, Father, but because we love him and we can't imagine doing otherwise. And Father, I pray that, that our faith would be more than right belief, more than right practice, more than endurance. That it would be the overflow of a relationship with Jesus that we cannot suppress because we love Him so. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.